welcome everybody. Welcome to a new episode of the Every Day is a New Day show. My name is Kim O'Neill and it is so good to be here with you again today. We are going to be talking today about reinventing your life and purpose in retirement. But before we get to that, let's take a quick moment to shake off yesterday. Shake off yesterday. And that's always a metaphor. It's a metaphor for maybe it's, you know, 10 minutes before you showed up here today. Maybe it's whatever's been going on in your morning, in your week, whatever it is that you'd like to start to shake off the energy of so that you can come into the present moment and enjoy this moment for yourself. This is something you can do at any time for you. It's a gift you give yourself, bringing yourself into that present moment awareness, connecting back into your power. Take a deep breath. So glad that you are here. And I'm going to go ahead and move on to sharing with you an inspirational quote to get us going. So today's quote is from C.S. Lewis. He says, you are never too old to set a new goal or dream a new dream. You are never too old to set a new goal or dream a new dream. That is so true. That is so, so, so true. If you ever find yourself in the, the mindset of, oh, you know, I can't do that. That time has passed in life or, or gosh, I really wanted to do that. But, you know, uh, right. Uh, forget that now. You know what? If there's something that you're passionate about, if there's something that ignites, inspires you, ignites, you know, a flame in you and it inspires you. It's there for a reason. I, I encourage you to, to, to go for those things that you are passionate about, that you want to do. If you are alive, then there's still time. You're still here. And it's up to you to decide how you want to live your life moving forward. I just, I hope you, I hope you always know that. Age is just a number, never too old. With that, I'm gonna go ahead and share a little bit about today's guest with you. And then we're going to get into our conversation. So today's guest is David Dashinger, is a retired fire lieutenant and EMT, a two-time Grammy Award nominee, a stage four cancer survivor, co-author of the book, Live Calm with Cancer and Beyond, and co-creator of the Loving Meditations app, as well as the host of the Responder Resilience podcast, co-host. His firsthand experience undergoing cancer treatment profoundly altered the landscape of his life and inspired him to be an advocate for firefighter wellness. After retiring, he began hosting the Responder Resilience podcast, which is dedicated to improving the mental and physical well-being of police, fire, EMS, and dispatch personnel. And today, David's going to be talking to us about reinventing your life and purpose in retirement. And with that, I welcome David to the show. Welcome, David. Hi, Kim. It's great to be here. It's great to have you here. What What are your, before we get into your story and how you, you started hosting your podcast and all the things that you're doing today, just what are your initial thoughts about, about age and, and, you know, as we, we all get older? Well, I love the fact that you shared that quote because it really ties into our conversation about retirement, which is, it's about age, right? Time flows forward, right? We we can't stop time. So everything, every good thing that starts is going to have an ending at some point. And in this case, we're talking about someone's career. But I think age is a construct in a certain way. It's a it's a belief system in a certain way. And I've seen people buy into it to the point where they literally will say, you know, I I'm not going to be alive that much longer after I retire. I mean, it's shocking to hear it, but it's like they're already kind of bought into that belief system. And then on the other side of the coin, 
I think you can believe that age is just a number um, and that you're capable of amazing things as we get older. I mean, in some cases, scientifically, they've shown that people can run at a peak level well into their mid to later 60s. And, you know, one would think, well, you're your body's deteriorating, you're getting older, but um, in some ways the body physiologically actually maintains a high level of, um, of capability, um, you know, wow. into our, into our sixties and even beyond that. So that's inspiring. And I think that you'll see, you know, in my travels, I see people who embrace the aging process in a way that it doesn't seem like it's slowing them down or preventing them from living life fully. And there's other people who are like, until they're already kind of in checkout mode like they're like well i'm gonna start winding down and like you know just put everything on the back burners and and get ready for you know the next chapter or whatever that is of you know of slowing down my life i've seen it too where people um you know as soon as they retire and and i just always have to say this everyone's free to do whatever they want in their life you know and but it's it it's it's kind of it's kind of sad sometimes when you're like wait a second no you you just you, you see so much more life and more years in people but you know that they're already to kind of just kind of throw in the towel and call it quits and so yeah i've seen that too so Let's let's get into talking a little bit more about your story, because then I, I know this is going to parlay into some more questions that are going to bring this conversation even deeper. And I'm really looking forward to that. So I want to first start with, uh, you know, how did you follow up a career as a fire lieutenant and cope with your own loss of identity, connection to the firehouse family? I know how big and meaningful that is. The first responder mission. How did you follow up all of that? with some of the things that you're doing today. Right. Um, well, I'll say, first of all, that we don't do a very good job preparing our firefighters, police, EMS personnel, dispatchers, everyone else who's in that general profession of first responders. We don't do a good, very good job of preparing them for retirement, which the process of which could start as soon as you're a recruit in the academy. And then you can start planning and having some strategies for you know how you're going to proceed after your career is over. So. In my case, you know, I didn't feel like I prepared, but I did have a plan and plan A, right? Plan A was um, going to involve doing some video production with someone and creating a video series. And so that actually gave me this, I don't know, the confidence to say this is, I, I can retire now because I have something to, to do next okay. and it's meaningful. Um, However, and I, I love that you just said that. I want to highlight that I've heard so many times you want to have a plan to retire to something. Mm -hmm. And and sounds like that's what was part of the mindset that you had. So that's that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. And and to to your question, Kim, I mean, one of the things first responders experience, and I think it's what gets them into it, into the profession, is that they have a deep desire to be of service and a deep desire to serve other humans. And once you do that last shift and you leave the firehouse, police station, the EMS station, you no longer have that, right? It's like, um, it takes some effort to find another mission that can fill that gap. And I, I think that can be a problem for people who leave, leave the profession and now are faced with a lot of time on their hands. Maybe they're going home to their family who they haven't been spending a lot of time with or haven't cultivated a good relationship because they've been so busy working and saving lives. Um, so that's what, when I was referring to the preparation, there's there's a lot of elements that need to be looked at for a healthy retirement phase. 
That is such I that is such a good key component about um I mean, at first, you know, just think about, okay, you have this work family and you no longer have that once you retire, but then taking a look at your own own family, the personal family that you live with or, right, that you identify with outside of the job. Well, it's really the first family. Exactly right. It's really the first family. And yeah. so what preparation have you done for that? Oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. So, so, so will you say a little bit more about that then before we move on to the other qu next question is it just... You know, talk a little bit more. What was that process like for you then when you were realizing, oh, my goodness, I'm now in this transitional phase and what am I going to do? Right. I, I know that in some ways you can't prepare totally for that, that eventuality of leaving the, the job. And when you asked about identity and family, so the firehouse for me was my second family, very close family. I was blessed to be on a shift for many years that you know, you couldn't ask for a better bunch of guys. We had fun. We went on RV trips together. We ate together amazing meals. We just clicked. And, you know, that over time disbanded. And when I ended my career, I was not on that shift. But still, the whole Firehouse family is, you know, it's like none other, right? We're, we're doing extreme things. And we're out there being of service, working as a team together um, to, you know, to be of service to humanity in people's worst moments. And so that creates a bond, right? That's really difficult to replicate. So instantly that's kind of removed. Instantly you're not showing up for work at this job that, you know, everybody tends to love because, you know, you're done, right? They've taken you out of the, the email list for the fire department. <laughs> you know, they've, the, the crazy thing is, and, you know, we all think that we're really important to the department and in some ways we are, but they, they've already got to fill your shoes, right? The mission has to keep going. The The wheel exactly. keeps turning. They got to answer the calls. So, you know, for me, like a rude awakening was they promoted a guy into my position. And then I heard a story secondhand about his first fire, you know, on, on my engine. Right. And I'm like, you know, your heart cut, my heart sank, you know, it's just, there's a certain kind of uh, sadness to it to know that, you know, I passed the torch in a sense to someone else and they're doing those calls and, They've got a whole new, you know, career ahead of them. And right. I'm looking in the rearview mirror. So those are some of the things that I wrestled with. And, and I've spoken to other first responders who have had very similar um, experiences. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. No, no one can ever truly be replaced. And yet we're all replaceable. <laughs> it's, it's, it goes both yeah. ways. Yeah, in a cosmic <laughs> sense too, right? I mean, we're all going to leave the planet at some point And, you know, people are being born every day. People are passing on to the next, you know, wherever we go every day. And uh, I guess, you know, the ego wants to think that we're, we're very important and, you know, we're irreplaceable. Right. 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 Oh, okay. Well, thank you for yeah adding on to that. So tell us a little bit more. What, what is retirement for you? Is it, do you call retirement retirement or do you have another word for it? I really don't like the word uh, because that does to me have the connotation of, you know, Going down to, uh, you know, a senior community, sitting around the pool, playing golf, going to the early bird special, um, you know, I don't know. Eating dinner at coupons. four. Sorry. Yes. No offense to anybody. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. You know, wearing like plaid shorts that don't match your shirt and, you know, those little weird hats that older men wear. So that's my vision of retirement. Um, and I, for that reason, I prefer other words, right? You could say the next chapter. You could say the second season, you know, you could say life mm. 2.0. And those to me have much more 
um, again, it gets back to like having a dream. Like you're not, you're never too old to have a new dream or a new goal. And once we say, take that word retirement out of the equation, the next chapter is like, it's full of possibility, right? Like I can do something new now. I can, you know, I can go out there in a the world and try something I've never tried before. I can, you know, I can experiment and see what I like, what I don't like. I can, you know, do something that I'm passionate about. And, um, and so there's a freedom in it. That's, that's the good part of it, right? I now have time that I didn't have during my career at the fire department to do things that um, I feel like I, I still want to do in, you know, in this part of my life. So what are some of the things I know you're hosting, you're hosting the Responder Resilience podcast, but tell us a little bit more about what the things you do that keep you inspired and motivated in this next chapter of your life. Sure. Well, you mentioned the podcast, Kim, that really grew out of participating in a peer support group, you know, sort of multifaceted police, fire, EMS, dispatch, animal control, um, run by two clinicians. And so I started attending that just to stay connected in with the first responder community, because again, once you leave the firehouse, you want to think that, you know, they're going to think of you every day and call you and stay in touch. And in fact, it takes some effort to stay in touch with even a few people there. And so I wanted to have that community. And so this peer support group really filled that that niche for, you know, for the short term. And I was watching these two uh, EMDR trauma-informed therapists kind of facilitate this group. They had such a great chemistry and did such a great job with the group and keeping things light when they needed to lighten up and knowing how to go deep and, you know, into the dark places when that was appropriate. I'm like, you know, we could put together a podcast talking about first responder, you know, issues like mental health and other wellness issues with Bonnie and Stacy. And so we did a pilot. Um, and then from there, we, you know, we kind of launched it in, um, I guess it was the September of 2021. And uh, Kim, you were part of the first season. You were, you were really an integral part of what probably one of our best shows that season. And, um, and so it went on from there. And that's kind of become, you know, my main focus. Tell her, I, and I love, I love, uh, I, I love it so much. I feel like I have to say love a lot. Uh, I love that your co-hosts are um, knowledgeable about EMDR and things like that. And so will, for anybody who's not familiar, will you tell everyone in your best you know, way to describe it, what EMDR is and how it helps people? Absolutely. Yeah, this is a modality that um, it stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And um, if you think about, you know, what we do in REM sleep, our eyes, you know, you, you've seen the people's eyes kind of go back and forth in, in their uh, deeper sleep cycles. Well, this somehow mimics that and allows the brain to kind of reintegrate experiences. So in the first responder world, um, you know, I, I think that the number is in a career, a first responder will, besides all the, the other calls they go to, a first responder will go to like 188, you know, traumatic incidents which take their toll over time. And what EMDR does is in a rather, um, you know, quicker than talk therapy, it allows the brain to reprocess these memories. Some of them, you know, cause insomnia. Some of them cause, um, you know, elevated heart rate and cortisol rush and, you know, uh, anxiety, depression, all kinds of stuff, right? It pushes people into dark places. Well, EMDR has the ability to kind of unravel that and allow that experience and that memory to be placed into a file drawer, if you will, where you can pull that out at any time and look at it. 
but it's not haunting you. It's not looping. It's not like a highly charged, um, you know, memory that that you can't kind of push away. Right. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So so your co-hosts are familiar with this, and they bring this to the peer support team that you are in connection with, and all that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Um, what are some of the challenges that you've encountered in your journey, and you know that you've seen in your next chapter and some of the other people's other people's next chapter that you know of? Yeah, well, there's you know there's a loss, there's a sadness, there's a um, you know a deep, profound um, grief. Uh, there's a grieving process that I experienced that you know still goes on to this day. I mean, you know, it's hard to see a, a fire engine go by without having that little you know pit in your stomach right Aww. and um you know it's hard to it's hard to say you know sometimes it's hard to say a retired firefighter i'll flip that around though i think having done that job and anybody who's done a job you know law enforcement fire all the all the response responder professions you have a certain kind of um you'll get a certain kind of impact with people when you say that you know i I am a retired firefighter because, you know, we are clearly having done the job. We are people who have, you know, a certain kind of experience, compassion, ability that, you know, maybe is not common in, you know, in everyday life. And so you carry that forward too, and that can be used in a very constructive way, right? I think it, it really gives you a lot of credibility and, and, uh, and people will tend to, um, I think they tend to trust people more who will have that background. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And and also being in the retired state, you have more freedoms, the things that you can do that you probably couldn't do when you were working the job. Is that would you agree with that? Uh, I would. Yes. And and to add to that, I'm meeting people I never would have met um, doing okay. the job because that was very, you know, you're in a local environment. So you meet people, you know countywide, statewide. What the podcast has done is I'm now meeting people mostly nationally, but also internationally to a smaller extent where, you know, we are, there's a, there's a national community of um, people who are trying to enhance the well-being of first responders and doing it all different ways. Some people are writing books, some people are coaches, some people are speakers, trainers, and um, I'm meeting these people, having them on the show and learning what they do and hearing their stories. And to me, that's, you know, I never would have done that if I was still working at the firehouse. Yeah, that's awesome. I, uh, I, I want to just briefly go back to the, the EMDR thing and, and trauma and things like that. You mentioned that, that public safety personnel can experience up to 188 traumas in their career. Is that correct? It's, right. And, that's number, and, yeah. That's the number. Okay. And uh, it really only takes one to be able to get a person to be experiencing insomnia or flashbacks or mm -hmm. PTSD, all that kind of stuff. Right. It, right. It, you know, one call can do it. You know, it could be um, accumulation of calls or it could be one particular call that just has some element and not everybody's going to be affected the same way, but one right. person will connect in with a smell, a sight, somebody they see reminds them of someone, you know, they love. Um, who knows? Some of it could just be intangible, but yeah, it has the, you know, one call has the ability to kind of be a, a traumatic incident for a first responder. 
I, and so this is why I, I just want to highlight that because, um, you are helping people, helping first responders with your podcast, talk, talking about, I want to just say the name again, responder resilience. Uh, and the word wellness, I know, is also a key word in, in what you and your co-hosts are doing. And when I worked at the police department, I, uh, for those that don't know, I used to work at uh, the police department, a police department psychology office. It was, it was just said so often how, you know, like for some people, some people would never go to the psychologist just because of stigma, whatever. Yeah. They would never, ever go. But some people, that is the one and only person they may go to, to talk about what they're experiencing, you know, traumas, anxieties, fears, whatever it might be, um, because they don't share. It's not as common to share these those kinds of things with their first family, their spouse at home, their, of course, their children or whatever, you know, right? So it's it's so good to know that there are resources such as not all departments have a department psychologist, but for those that do, that's mm -hmm. a great resource or a peer support team. That's also a great resource and things such as your podcast where, you know, if people are really just too afraid to go to anybody, they can listen to a podcast that can help them start to start to heal or move forward, switch up those beliefs, whatever it may be. What are some of the benefits that, that you see people having who are listening to Responder Resilience? Well, uh, before I answer that, I also wanted to add that the peer support group that I'm a part of is it's a hybrid. So it's in person and it's virtual. So actually anybody anywhere in the country could log in and they do. Um, oh, you know, wow. it's, uh, it's the kind of group where you can you could be in your car. I mean, you know, I think it's better to be in a, you know, your home yeah. quiet environment, but people do log in from there on the job. I have, you know, there's cops uh, that are out in their cruisers that will, you know, pull over to the side of the road and they're, you know, on break, whatever they'll, they'll um, check in. And so, so peer support doesn't mean you have to be in, you know, at least this one, you don't have to be in a particular location and you don't have to be um, in that room necessarily. But, um, some of the benefits. So, you know, there are people out there um, we are speaking with who are doing lots of studies on, on police suicide. And that's, you know, as you know, Kim, that is a huge, huge epidemic um, challenge right now in law enforcement. And so by analyzing the data, um, we, we have a guest, I think we'll have her on next week, uh, Dr. Olivia Johnson. She is an expert at this and she's able to not only come up with, you know, numbers, but also how can we change this? You know, what changes can we make to um, improve this horrible situation that's, you know, that's every day we seem to, you know, every other day we seem to hear another officer has taken his life. And so, um, so we have that kind of thing. We have coaches who are coaching first responders. It could be anything from promotion to, you know, life challenges. Um, one of our uh, dear guests is a married couple. He's a retired fire captain and his wife uh, has written a column on this and they, their specialty is firefighter marriage. They travel around the country speaking about this and they also have written a book about it and they, um, you know, they'll be on podcasts. So they are able to speak to, you know, what do we need to be looking at so that we don't go home to an empty house when we retire? So we have, don't have broken relationships when we retire. Um, and also because the job has a huge impact on our spouses and our kids. Um, they don't really talk about that so much when you start, you know, your, your career, but 
we bring home the energy of the sometimes I know I did. I brought home the energy of the negativity, maybe in, in the firehouse or, you know, I was on a bad call. I didn't get a lot of sleep, come home. And I know I brought that home. And sometimes I just had to, you know, do a like a brain dump of, you know, all these things that happened. My wonderful wife would sit there and patiently listen. And then, you know, I can move on. But, you know, it has an impact on our home life. And we don't, it's not recognized enough. We're starting to recognize it more. But um, the good news is that, you know, we are, we're finding experts out there who are committed to making it better. And that's super inspiring. It's very inspiring. I agree. I I think this would be a good opportunity now to, uh, we have a little video that, that showcases some of your podcasts. And I think we should go ahead and share that now. What do you think? Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Let me grab that really quick. Here we go. In this family, more of us die by our own hands than by the hazards of the job. In this family, up to a quarter of 911 dispatchers have symptoms of PTSD. In this family, our mental health and wellness are in crisis while responders are quietly suffering. In this family, many struggle with job-related stress, burnout, trauma, sleep disruption, substance abuse, and marriage problems. In this family, we can help the helpers with vital information and resources, resilient strategies, and success stories of overcoming the obstacles. In this family, no one is alone. Welcome to Responder Resilience with co-hosts, retired Lieutenant David Dashinger, Dr. Stacy Raymond, and Bonnie Rimley, LCSW EMTB. I love that video. Um, did, did you create that video, I presume? Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, I have fun doing that stuff. Uh, it's like my, I don't know, my happy place when I get to play with video like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you create lots of video. You've been doing this type of stuff for years and you're now currently working on a, some documentaries. Yes. Yeah, so we've done a couple in the course of the podcast. And, you know, as we're speaking about retirement, our latest documentary in post-production is about retirement. Uh, first responder retirement. It's going to be two one-hour segments. And we have probably 20 different guests speaking about it from all different angles. Um, not only people who had normal careers where, you know, they started and did 25 years and then retired on their own terms, but also several who had their careers cut short, short by medical um, situations. Or in the case of uh, one police officer, he was involved in a uh, fatal shooting, which, um, you know, effectively began the end of his career. And um, so, so many stories that are amazing and perspectives uh, a lot of wisdom and knowledge, and and it's really exciting to be part of it. Awesome. Uh, well, I so two things about the video that we just showed. Uh, I love your usage of the word family. You continue to use that and drive that home. And um, I don't know. Is there anything more you'd like to say about that? Because I, I wonder if there's anybody out there going, why is, does he keep using the word family? Why does he keep using the word family? Um, I know what you mean, but is there anything you'd like to say about that? Yeah, it absolutely is a family. In some cases, the bonds are incredibly strong. And even if it's someone we didn't work with, I mean, I've met people, I've never met them in person, but we've connected, let's say, on LinkedIn. And within, you know, one one message, they're calling me brother. Um, mm -hmm. There is that kind of level of connection within the first responder community where, uh, the, you know, the bond almost transcends time and space. And 
So we do call it a family. We do support each other. I, you know, I see people come through when someone is sick, someone is experiencing a loss in their life, someone is going through a hard time. I've never seen any other uh, family where there's that level of support. And so, um, you know, it's it's the best use of the word, I think, to describe what, you know, what we do and, and how we treat each other, how we support each other. Yeah. And I, I also want to highlight for everyone that, you know, it's first responders. So you include everybody in that. It's not just, it's not just firefighters. It's mm -hmm. also police. It's, it's EMS. It's the dispatchers. It's all of them. And, uh, you know, there's no separation there. And so the other thing I want to bring up is I just want to kind of revisit the word stigma because th that has been so strong and what has kept people at, you know, at bay from getting help and, and finding ways to heal themselves through whatever they've experienced as being the, the heroic, amazing first responder they've been. So what, what, what would you like to say? And uh, how, what have you seen about stigma and the shifts that, that you might be seeing about that being released? It's a great question, Kim. I think what's happening is somewhat generational, right? We're, we're starting to see, you know, a new group of people come in who are maybe more comfortable speaking about mental health and uh, even more open about talking about going to a therapist or knowing maybe they're more aware when of, they're more aware that they need to go get help, even if it's just to talk through something. And so the older generations where, you know, culturally it just was not spoken about. It was, you know, just deal with it, go on to the next call, um, you know, that's just the way it was handled. And it's only recently that we're recognizing that this is having this, you know, long-term effect on people, um, not only while they're in the career, but also beyond the career. So, um, you know, stigma is, you know, there's, there's some people that absolutely won't go there that won't want to talk about mental health or they'll, they, they won't acknowledge that there is any kind of problem going on. Um, and that's their prerogative, but, I think generally we're starting to see a really great trend in the conversation about mental health, about that we can make a difference by some of these modalities like EMDR, like peer support. And by having the conversations that we're having and people are having all over the country and embracing things like meditation and yoga, um, you know, there's more of a culture of wellness. And I'll say one more thing, and that's key that the leadership, um, there's a, also a changeover now in leadership where there are some leaders out there who are now completely bought into the concept that, you know what, to have the best department possible to do the best job for the public that we serve, we need to have a culture of wellness in our department. And I'm willing to stand up for it and do what it takes to institute that. I love hearing that. When I, again, when I was working at a police department, um, you know, it blew my mind when we had budget cuts and apparently there were a succession of years where there were lots of budget cuts and the psychology office kept making it through. And then finally the year came where the psychology office didn't make it anymore. And so the office, me and the psychologist, we got cut and she had to go somewhere else. I had to go somewhere else. That's where I ended up. I went over to the fire department. I got hired over there and got to experience the whole family thing you talk about. But my, my point is, is that you know, there was this anger and frustration. Uh, I was a civilian, but still going, oh my goodness, how can you let go of this resource that is so highly valuable to 
the officers that do utilize it, the, the ones that need it. And um, who are just, yeah. So it's, I love hearing things such as you're seeing that shift take place. And, and I've seen it too, in various ways. Um, you know, yeah. So I just, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. David, tell everyone where they can go to uh, find out more about first res or responder resilience. Well, we have a website. It's called respondertv.com. It's got all of our past episodes. It's got uh, our guests' information. I think you're on there, Kim. And uh, we have, um, we're on YouTube. Responder Resilience is our YouTube channel. We're on Facebook, uh, Responder TV. We're on LinkedIn, Responder Resilience, and a bunch of the podcast platforms Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, uh, and bbsradio.com. Awesome. So again, for everybody you want to listen to Responder Resilience podcast, go to respondertv.com. Makes it really simple that way. I love that. Okay, David, I love this conversation, but I think we are nearing the end of our interview today. Is there anything else that that you would like to add um, to those listening today who are, you know, who are in that space of, of inching their way towards getting help? Uh, getting assistance. You know, wait, hold on. I'm so sorry. I'm going to say one more thing before, before you answer that question, I want to speak to the people. This came up earlier and I'm glad it resurfaced. I want to also just add, you know, maybe there's a first responder out there in the world who doesn't have any traumatic incidents that they've been on. They're fine. They're doing, you know, they're, they're moving along through the job just fine, but Maybe you have at home things that are really weighing you down, that are stressing you out. And are those potentially clouding, maybe, I don't know, maybe clouding your judgment at work or making work harder than it needs to be because you have stuff going on at home too. I just want to emphasize even them. You know, there might be people listening to our conversation and saying, oh, well, I haven't had any traumas on the job. I'm doing just fine. You know, I don't need therapy. I don't need help, whatever, whatever. Hey, like therapy is not just for first responders. It's literally for everybody and especially someone doing such a high stress job as being a first responder of any kind. Oh my goodness. I just want to drive home the importance of, of therapy, of wellness, of coaching, of, of anything of, of healing that aids you in your healing. Um, the value of that. Is there anything you'd like to say to that? A few things. Um, one is that as you mentioned, coaching. Yeah. If it's not necessary, you know, therapy is not necessary for everybody. Probably not everybody needs it. Like you say, some people may go through a whole career and not kind of carry the trauma of some of those calls. We just, we're all right. wired differently. So that's possible, but maybe not instead of therapy, maybe there's some amazing coaches out there who um, one coach who we've had on the show, Roger Ruge will kind of present a, an array of different possibilities, different tools that you could use. And he's, he, he understands that everybody's different. They may resonate towards one tool or another. And yours might be meditation and mine might be yoga, but whatever it is, he, he kind of matches you up with that and gives you um, direction. And he has like a, a daily journal, um, devotional uh, book that helps you, steps you through on a daily basis to be in a place, you know, a better space of gratitude and um, moving forward with your life. So therapy is not necessarily the, the right thing or necessary for everybody, but there's other options if you want to just, you know, improve your life and, and uh, elevate your game. Um, so I'd say that. And the last thing is that first responders, you know, in general, I'm generalizing, but we're not, we're really good at 
taking care of other people, but maybe not so good at knowing when we need to be taken care of. And um, a lot of times I know I hear from the therapists that when they get a call from a first responder, you know, they're already way deep into a into a crisis, you know, and they recognize that they can't take any they can't delay. They have to get you know help immediately because, again, we kind of commit ourselves to helping others and then we don't really you know, look out for ourselves that much. So um, I know first responders have certain very special, you know, parameters that, around mental health. And that's, you know, that's a couple of them right there. So um, therapy can be very helpful. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to take years. EMDR is a very um, kind of thorough, but rapid process. And then down the road, one can just have like a tune up, you know, you might have a bad call and say, okay, maybe I just should give my, you know, my, uh, EMDR therapist to call, deal with that call. And then, you know, maybe you're good for another, whatever, year or six months. So, you know, it's not all like sitting on the couch with Sigmund Freud and, you know, being analyzed, this kind of thing. Yeah, no, I love that. Thank you. Thank you for speaking to all of that. And yes, there are so many modalities, uh, tools, types of resources available, um, therapy, coaching, meditation, the EMDR. Uh, there's like so many different ones. It's just starting to say, you know, okay, yes, let me look into it. What, what speaks to me? What, what can I use right now? So thank you so much, David. Thank you so much for being here and sharing everything that you did. I, um, I love talking about this and I love how you are supporting first responders through responder resilience podcast and your documentaries. Do you want to say anything about, is there any sort of date of when those are coming out or anything that you'd like to add? Yes, uh, we, we hope they're going to air in April. We're getting, you know, kind of in the last phase of uh, post-production. Okay. And uh, yeah, I'm mean, really super excited about it. I think some of the things you and I touched on today are are much more thoroughly covered in the documentary. So uh, awesome. I would say just, you know, check in on our channels and um, our Facebook page. We'll, we'll usually advertise it uh, a week or so in advance. And um, yeah, so Life 2.0, you know, it's uh, it's not a bad thing. It. Okay. Okay. Life 2.0. So much more can evolve and show up in retirement. I love it. Or the next chapter, right? Whatever, whatever term you want to call it. Yeah. I love it. Thank you, David. I'm going to go ahead and just drop you back down into lobby for a few moments while I close out the show and then I'll see you there again soon. Okay. 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 Thanks, Kim. Thank you. Ah, ah, what are you taking away from today's conversation? Are you a first responder? Are you someone who's been considering, you know, I think it's time for me to, you know, look up some resources, right? Look into a coach, a therapist, some, some of those healing modalities out there in the world. There are so many truly, I, I don't think I could list them all right now if I were to try. If you're feeling called to do something like that, listen to that. Listen to that and baby steps. What is the next thing? Maybe simply, you know, quick little Google search or maybe, you know, look look up the first the Responder Resilience podcast and see, you know, what do they talk about? What do they got going on? Listen to an episode. You hear a buzzword term that feels good. Okay, look that up. You know, oh, maybe you heard someone else talk about that. Maybe have a conversation with them. If you're in a space of you know you're feeling called in that direction, but feeling the resistance or oh, I'm not too sure, ease your way into it. We get these little ins inspirations and insights and little nigglings for a reason. So just go ahead and allow yourself to follow it. Follow it and see what gift is there for you. And you know what? Everything is possible. So again, age is just a number. Hey, retirement, your next chapter, you're still alive. What do you want to do next? 
This is your life. Thank you so much for being here today. I am so grateful for your time in viewing us and let me know what you're taking away. I'm going to go ahead and close out the show here. I'll see you again very soon.